This is the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast, helping you build long-term wealth and a lasting legacy through real estate investing, tax strategies, and motivational stories from some of the most successful and influential people out there. Here are your hosts, real estate investor and entrepreneur, Michael Notbaum and real estate investor and attorney, Andrew Hook. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast. I'm Michael Notbaum here with my partner in crime, Andrew Hook. Hey guys, how are you? And we are delighted on a Friday afternoon to bring you some cutting edge content about uh, some of the deal trends that we're seeing, what we're buying, what we're looking at, what we're staying away from, and then just what we're hearing. You know, yeah. you and I talk to people all the time in the real estate world, mortgage people, you know, so you hear the doom and gloom and then you hear positivity. And I think trying to decipher where where to draw the line in the sand, I think is probably a struggle for most people, including us sometimes. Yeah. I think, you know, to me and a lot of the conversations I have, uh, I think question mark is the best thing that comes to mind at the time being is like, it's, I think certain markets you've already seen downturns in, of course, other markets like the market we're in in Tampa is really held its own. I mean, we've seen some slowdown, but it almost defies the odds. And I feel right. like there's sort of this kind of stubbornness in the economy in the real estate market that sort of there's all these signs and indicators that things should be worse than they are, but they're not really that bad yet yeah, or, or at all. And, and so that's leading to all these questions. And it is kind of mind boggling. You look at some, you know, interest rates doubling basically from where they were a year, you know, just over a year ago and yep. people are still buying these houses. And at what point does that, you know, kind of turn around? And I think for us, you know, being investors, you're always kind of waiting for that downturn because hopefully that's where opportunity you know yeah. presents itself. And oh, and you keep hearing that there's so many of these people that are waiting for a plunge and like, you know, oh, okay, we're gonna wait for the the market to crash and the 2009 ish style crash. I don't honestly believe we're gonna see a crash like that. I think you're gonna see a plateau or retraction. Some markets you're gonna see, you know, maybe a 10, 15 percent drop. I don't see these things. I don't see prices of homes fi falling 40% or more on right or rent going down. I mean, we still have a housing shortage in the country. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's funny because Tampa's got so much stuff going on. I went to Nashville not too long ago. Same thing. There's a, you know, 20 cranes up in the air. Yeah. And I think, you know, you talk to people across the country, it sounds like big cities. I mean, almost all of them have a ton of growth happening. A lot of it is around multifamily apartment complexes, right? condos. So, you know, you and I talk about this a lot. I, I still think that there's good value in the like, class C apartment complexes that really have just, it's a mom and pop that have owned them for 30 years. The rents are way under market, but that's because the condition of the property isn't great. So I think there's an opportunity, you know, obviously the catch 22 of that is Make sure you understand how to price out your deferred maintenance costs. Yeah, I mean, definitely the that and you know, interest only loans and variable rates and some other things that can snag you in that in that style of deal. Um, but I think the deferred maintenance typically on Class C is going to be you. You have to go in with your eyes open and understanding of that. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you can take a product and you can give people a safe clean place to live, you're never going to have a shortage of demand for that. Right. So. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you and I, we're looking at some deals right now, like the one in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when, when we start thinking about 
building long-term wealth, creating a legacy, which is the goal of the Legacy Wealth Code, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in in markets to get a good cap rate. You know, like Tampa's probably not going to give you a 15 cap on something that's turnkey. You know, you might get a 15 cap on something that needs a ton of work that you can patch together. But like the deal in Cleveland, fully remodeled and current rent is like a 14 and a half cap and ARV rent just because they haven't raised it, puts it at like a 17 and a half. Yeah. And I think again, I mean, so if, you know, the point of today's podcast thing is to kind of understand trends and to see where opportunities lie. And I, and I think, you know, I, I started hearing people talk about, it used to be Tampa was very much a secondary market, maybe even borderline tertiary, but they were looking at Tampa as kind of a secondary market and starting the conversation as to smaller areas as, as tertiary markets to say, we got to start looking in these. And this is, I mean, I think I've heard this now for about four or five years. So some of those people were really early on in that trend, but I think now is you're, as you said, you're not going to find stunning deals or if you find stunning deals in a primary or secondary market right now, they're going to be a needle in the haystack. So it almost forces you into kind of some of these, outlier markets where and i mean you know some of the things i think you look for where do you have strong job growth where do you have a a town or city that's you know holding its own maybe they're reinventing themselves somehow maybe they just continue to prosper in some fashion as to their they've got great weather they've got great tax benefits or something along those lines to keep to keep generating growth but you know, if you can find those areas that are kind of outliers, maybe not primary or secondary cities, jump on them. Yeah. Well, and it's weird for us because we talk to people in these markets and it's pretty much a norm there, I think, for people to be getting a 14, 15 cap. So if you start to accumulate properties and you're getting that kind of return, I think the part that, uh, well, I guess a big part of the legacy wealth code is the fact that we push tax strategy, tax planning, you know, taking advantage of things like bonus depreciation and cost segregation. And when you start factoring that into your cap rate, because you are, I mean, it's either you're going to send that check to the government or you can keep the money. Mm-hmm. So you start factoring in what that looks like from actual dollars in your pocket. Like this one in Cleveland is 650000 So you figure reduce out the 20% for land. So you probably have a $500,000 asset roughly that you can run the cost seg on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just ballpark numbers, probably around 200 and 220 in a year one deduction. Yeah. You know, you start looking at that in the 35% tax bracket, that's $100,000 in our pocket. Right. So now when you look at that return, you're getting 17% back on your money from just the pure rent standpoint, plus roughly a hundred grand that, mm-hmm. you know, either you stroke a check to, Uncle Sam, or you take that and you can reinvest it in real estate. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely want to be taking advantage of those tax, those tax uh, plays. But so outside of the kind of secondary tertiary markets and, you know, looking at some of those areas that maybe you weren't looking before, what else do you think are creating opportunities right now? I mean, one of the, one of the head scratchers for me, and I always get people asking about, how do we start in on foreclosures or how do we start on distressed property? I'm still not seeing the spike on that, at least right. locally. And and I'm not hearing the stories on a national level as to spiking foreclosure rates or anything like that. 
so I mean, it's, it kind of begs these questions as to like, where do you, where else do you look? And I mean, what are you seeing right now for that? I mean, I think that there's a good opportunity just because the cost to build is so expensive now in those prefab or manufactured homes. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't remember what we were, I think it was a podcast we were listening to and yeah. they were saying that their cost is like $80 a square foot, you know. And I think that was even that like was, after you tie in and yep. and install. So. You know, so, and we're talking to builders here. Now, Tampa is a little different because you got, flood zones and you're having to build up to code, et cetera, three hundred dollars a foot, two fifty a foot. You know, when you and I built that first house in St. Pete, our I think our hard number was we wanted to be at two hundred a foot, right? Yeah, with land cost. With land and everything. And we got pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, you know, even these big track builders I think probably are above that price and the finishes aren't great. Yeah, I mean I I also I mean the manufactured home is kind of what we were talking about a minute ago on the class C properties from a standpoint of providing a a safe, clean, affordable place to live. And locally in particular, and I think a lot of areas around the country, we're starting to hear more and more about affordable housing. But I was listening to a podcast this morning and it was talking about one of the, one of the guests on there was a builder out of the Salt Lake area in Utah. And his comment was, you know, our bread and butter for years was like the um, not mega mansion but like borderline mega mansion they were building five six thousand square foot homes in smaller communities with very very high-end stuff their press lately has been we're building a smaller product that's more affordable and they're flying off the shelf and i really think that there's such an opportunity if you if you can figure out how to give affordable housing options. And when I say affordable housing, I don't mean, you know, low end stuff. I'm talking about literally. Yeah. Like a first time home buyer. What's, what are they going to middle class type genre of, of the segment of the population that, that can, has a need that has to be met. The challenge around that, as you just said, is if building costs are so high, how do you meet that? And, but at the end of the day, I think you have an unlimited supply of demand if if you can figure out how to answer that. And I think the manufactured home is a great one. You know, smaller footprint homes is a lot of what this guy was talking about today. Maybe you're going a little bit further outside of the urban core to get a little bit cheaper land. You're putting a yeah. smaller, smaller property on or smaller house on that property. But any of those things that you can do to kind of try to tackle the the cost and the ultimate, you know, not everybody can afford a million dollar home, of course, you know, and so yep. you got to be able to answer that middle ground of 250 to 500 or slightly over 500. Yeah. I mean, and I would say the thing that probably makes me the most nervous and not going into it or down a political path, but regardless of you're Republican or Democrat, the next 12 months is going to be quite an adventure, I think. I agree. But I mean, that's what creates opportunity at the same token. Right. So, I mean, I, I do think that, and, and I, I think we're a little guilty of this too, because, you know, if you look at, we, we've been vetting deals lately, but we haven't, we haven't pulled a trigger on a new purchase in a little while. And I think some of it is, you know, you're, you're kind of in this head scratch moment of there's so much information coming at you. There's so much conflicting information coming at you. There's a part of me that thinks that, 
sitting back and waiting a little bit and watching is still a good move unless you unless you know that hey this is a diamond in the rough deal that I'm finding. Well, so we also have maybe a tad bit jaded based on the city of Tampa's permitting office and how great they've been to work with. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you tell me? I'm not doing anything that requires permits anymore for a while, <laughs> which I can't blame you. But I mean, so you've got that and then you've got a lot of times these diamond in the rough deals like the Indiana deal. Hopefully it comes back together at some point. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about it in the last podcast and we had it under contract. It's just a lazy owner who doesn't he doesn't care. Yeah, you have an unmotivated seller that doesn't really want to make something happen at the end of the day. But, you know, I mean, does that deal make sense? I think so. It pencils out. And do we have to do that deal, though? No, you keep looking. And I think, yeah. I think you know, as we said, it, it, the likelihood of more deals coming online in the next 6, 12, 18 months, I, I do genuinely think there's going to be opportunity there. Well, with these interest rates, there's a lot of commercial play that's probably going to, I yep. would say, start coming around because they're basically coming to a balloon. They're adjusting. And now they were at 3% or less, and now they're going to be at 8%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the pro forma for whatever they penciled out is definitely changing drastically when the interest rates adjust at that level. Right. So there might be a really good opportunity, I think, in, in that realm as well. Yeah, I agree with that. So I was I listened to an economist speak late uh, spring, early summer, and one of his forecasting pieces was that he thought summer of 2023 was going to still be pretty robust. You're going to have a lot of people traveling. You're going to have a lot of people that are out still trying to you're even getting sort of still this kind of post pandemic pent up of, you know, people still want to get out and travel. They still have some cash flowing to him, whatever the circumstances are. But he very closely targeted, I can't remember when Labor Day is, I want to say like September 5th or September 8th or something like that was the date he threw out. And his comment was, watch that date because I think things are really going to change after that comes and goes. And it's almost this idea of like, put your head in the stand a little bit maybe. And you're, hey, we're having fun this summer. We're doing our thing and we'll worry about that down the road you know, the kind yeah. of that mentality. But I think, you know, part of what we started talking about earlier is like the stubbornness of the economy, the stubbornness of the market. And I really think that we're seeing a lot of that right now. Well, eventually somebody's going to be right. Sure. <laughs> somebody's <laughs> got to be right at some point. Because it's been, I mean, I remember when we met, you know, I was the realtor in our networking group mm-hmm. and I would stand up and give the stats about the local market and, and Every week, somebody would say, you know, I'm thinking about buying something, but, you know, the market's been so crazy for how many years now? I'm like, it's been crazy for a while. And then, you know, fast forward, another year passes. They're still asking the same question. And I think where you had touched on, like, there's almost like a stalemate right now of, you know, a year ago, you put a house on the market and you have 20 offers. So that mentality is still lingering, I think, with a lot of people, investors, the savvy ones, and even really the not savvy ones have gotten accustomed to their their prices here yeah and they're so we're not seeing a lot of price adjustments or or even decreases from where we were at a year ago you know and it's funny because that's one of the things i scratch my head at all the time right now is why have these prices not come down and i was talking with an agent actually this morning who said he had kind of done a survey of uh, a couple different 
uh, zip codes within the Tampa Bay market. And what he said he sees is it's almost the back end manipulation of the deal, meaning the sellers aren't decreasing their prices, but they're offering all kinds of credits and incentives on the back end. So yeah. it's almost like keep the prices here, but we're going to help you out on buying down your rate or closing costs, you know, whatever stuff. it is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, there's all kinds of reasons you want to do that. And, and, and again, that, that podcast I was talking about earlier about the builder in, in Salt Lake, his comment was, they're always concerned about keeping sale prices at because they've got to keep their comps where they are to keep moving their inventory and their product. But his tackle on it was we are doing permanent interest buy downs for loans to get them into the fours and five percents. Wow. And he was like, that's costing me $30,000 or more to do that, but it's bringing me buyers yeah, because the, they're the only ones that are. They don't care. Their 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 monthly payment is the same whether they're paying that interest rate or whether you're taking eighty thousand dollars off of that purchase price. Right. And as the seller, he doesn't want to take that money off the purchase price, of course. But you know, so you're spending thirty to make an additional fifty, I guess. At that yeah, point. on the back so, end. Yeah, but it's it's just funny to watch because I feel like there's all this sort of like back end work to try to keep prices almost artificially inflated and you wonder when that steam runs out yeah well in this market tampa doesn't seem like it's going to run out very and true then you've got other markets you know like the ones where we're buying properties or looking at buying properties that have great cap rates 10 years from now those properties are probably going to be worth about what they're worth now mm -hmm. they just don't ever see a lot of growth from a asset appreciation standpoint sure but but they're a good solid return yeah and I think that that's kind of the takeaway for me anyways on what we're focusing on is just, you know, if, if it's, it makes sense from like a pure cash flow perspective, even if it's not going to be double the value in 10 years, I mean, it's going to be worth, you know, likely be worth more than it is today. Yeah. But you've all also got 20% return on your money every year, which you're never going to get, you know, at a bank or, you know, even a good mutual fund is probably five or 6%. Yeah. So. I, I think some of the key takeaways are, as you said, it's in particular myself, I know not as much as you because we because we come from different ends of the spectrum, but like <laughs> I could probably talk myself into Voice sitting, of reason. On, sitting on my hands <laughs> at, at, during any market, you know, but the, but the reality is you don't want to do that, of course, you know, but I think this isn't, it isn't two years ago when you could buy anything and you know, or, you know, using the 2005 example, 2005, you could literally buy anything and you knew that within 30 days it was going to have gone up 10% or more. And, and that's kind of the, the market that we saw for a year and a half, two years. And it was like, you, you almost couldn't make a bad buy, you know, right. but now I think you have to slow it down, look at it a little harder, but if you can make your numbers crunch and stress test it and make them make the deal work, as is without appreciation, it's still a good buy. Right. Use the 1% rule and don't, you know, I've, I've learned this and you'll, I think you'll appreciate this because I'm usually the, what's all that one in a million talk. I'm all in. <laughs> but, you know, I think that when you forecast a lot of these, you have to forecast it for the worst case scenario. Uh, Cause almost, you know, I wouldn't say it usually is, but there's always something that comes up that you didn't really account for. Well, what was the line that at one of our masterminds, the, the guy talking was like, I've never seen a deal actually operate as the pro forma right. anticipated it to. Yep. Or hard money guys. Yeah. 
you know, we'll do a six month loan, but then, you know, for a 1% origination fee or 2%, we will extend it to 12 for you knowing that there's like a 99.9% chance that loan's getting extended. I was thinking about that the other day we were closing a deal and it was one of these where the, the borrower had been insistent on a six month loan. Uh, No way I'm even going to take six months. And I was talking to the lender because I was representing the lender. And I said, what do you want to do with this? Do you want to stick with that? Do you want to give them like 12 months? You know, how do you want to set it up? And, and he said, if they want six months and they're confident about six months, so be it to their credit. They had the deal. They had the deal fixed and flipped. It was at the day of closing or day before closing. And the buyer got cold feet and walked (laughs) and they, and now they're going to blow their six month time period, which is out of their control. Of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, always, there's always stuff like that. You never know what's going to happen, you know? And so just invest smart, look for good passive income. You know, even if you want to be active in it, just make sure that it, uh, the 1% rule I think is probably the easiest. And there's so many markets that you can find that in Yeah, that, you know, as we kind of go into a year, I would say of uncertainty, because it's going to be just, no one's going to want to do anything from like a government standpoint. So you got to be prepared for on the other side of that. What does it look like? So just make sure you're kind of covering your bases. Yeah. I think it go back to the basics and stress test and pencil your deals and buy when you feel comfortable and right about it. But I don't think it's a time to force buys. And, you know, yeah. we've talked about this a lot too, but like, you know, whatever you can do to get your lines of credit clear, your cash ready. I mean, those are, those are where you want to be so that when something does happen, you're ready to pounce. Yeah. Poised for it. Cool. Until next time onward. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Legacy Wealth Code podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe now and never miss an episode. Until next time, onward.